Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 42. We're going to continue our study in the book of Jeremiah. As I am prone to say, if you've missed any portion, it's available in our media room. It's available at the website. Also, I've told you over and over again that the longest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. The second longest book in the Old Testament is the one we're reading right now. And as you can imagine, it is not for the weary or the faint of heart. But we're making our way through the book of Jeremiah. We find ourselves in chapter 42. This particular passage I'm entitling, When the Will of God is Ignored. Jeremiah chapter 42, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now all the captains of the forces... Johanan, the son of Kareah, Jazaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many as you can see. That the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called Johanan, the son of Kariah, all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the greatest and all the people from the least, even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up for I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that you may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land But if you say, we will not dwell in the land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell... Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, 
Then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse and a reproach. And you shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord your God according to all that the Lord your God says. So declare to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. In the place where you desire to go to dwell. In this beginning chapter of verse 42, it can, or chapter 42, it continues in chapter 43 and we get their answer that they are not going to obey the word of God and the will of God. In this section, remember, of Jeremiah, Judah has been defeated, Jerusalem destroyed. Many have been killed by the sword. Those who haven't been killed by the sword have been taken captive and in chains to Babylon. The city has been burnt. The environment has been torn down. And there is a remnant of people who are left. And you'll remember the king of Babylon appointed a governor, a provisional governor, Gedaliah, to... Administer the region only to be killed by a group of Jewish zealots. Jeremiah and Baruch were taken captive by the man who organized and executed the governor. A group of Israeli soldiers hunted down the kidnappers, managed to fill, kill a, a few of the terrorists, recover the captives, but the vast majority of them escaped, never to be heard from. Again, at least not in this text, Joe Hanan, the leader of the Israeli soldiers, basically goes to an outpost near Bethlehem as they're making the hard decision of whether or not they're going to stay in the land or whether or not they're going to head for safety in Egypt. And so Joe Hanan and the leader of the Israeli soldiers asks Jeremiah to pray concerning God's will. Should the people remain in the land of Judah? Should they flee to Egypt for safety's sake? After 10 days, Jeremiah reveals the matter. He will say, remain in Judah and live in verses 7 through 12, or flee to Egypt and die in verses 13 through 22. Now remember, in the Bible, there are pictures 
that are given to us. And in the Bible, this land, the land of Israel, the promised land becomes a type and a picture of occupying the promises of God and occupying Jesus himself, if you will. And Egypt becomes a type and a picture of the world. Now, again, in the context, they ask Jeremiah to pray about God's will. Is it possible that it might have been God's will for them to go to Egypt? It's possible, but not probable. And often you'll pray. God, what's your will? Should I go left? Should I get go right? Should I get married? Should I stay single? Should I take this job or should I decline that job? Lord, what should I do and where should I go? And you can rest assured that if the Bible has already addressed the issue, then you can take great confidence that the Bible gives us a lot of information of what constitutes the will of God and what doesn't constitute the will of God. I have a little checklist that I follow. I ask the question, what does the Bible say about the decision that I'm about to to make? Well, if the Bible doesn't address the issue, then I say, well, what is the Holy Spirit telling me? And if neither the Bible nor the Holy Spirit seems to be giving me any direction, then I ask my own conscience, is it accusing me or excusing me in the matter? And then after checking the Bible, after praying to the Holy Spirit, after examining my conscience... And I still don't have an answer. Do you know what I do? I ask someone older and wiser than me. I say, hey, look, this seems to be some of the challenges that I'm facing. What do you think? And after looking at the Bible, after checking with the Holy Spirit, after examining my conscience, after getting godly counsel, and the person says, I have no idea what you should do. What do you suppose I do then? I make a decision and trust that the Lord is going to help me. And the reason why is because I've given God lots of opportunities to say no. No in the Bible. No by the Spirit. No by my conscience. No by godly counsel. By the way, are you like me? Is it easier for you to hear no than yes? My little grandchildren, it's funny, the very first word they seem to learn is no. And again, look what it says, the request to know God's will. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Kariah, Jazaniah, the son of Hosea, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, that is the remnant of the people who have been left after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the people who have been taken captive, this small group of people who are left. Verse 3, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the things which we should do. And by the way, it's always a bad sign when someone says to you, will you please pray to your God about my situation? Does that give you kind of a a clue that, that the God of the Bible may not be their God? Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean it's wrong for your unbelieving family and your unbelieving friends to pray on your behalf. 
The refugees refer to Jeremiah as the Lord, your God. However, later, Jeremiah is going to turn the tables and refer to Yahweh as the Lord, your God and the Lord, our God. Now, again, part of what I think is happening in the text is long years of careless living coupled with hardship and siege has taken its toll on the people. And sometimes, you know, people who hard living and bad circumstances and difficult issues have caused them to distance themselves from the God of the Bible. They'll say, you know, it's been a while since I've been in church. It's been a while since I've opened up my Bible. It's, It's been a while since God and I have been on speaking terms. And it makes perfect sense that people going through difficulties and people going through difficult times might find themselves in a in a position where hardship and difficult circumstances have sort of estranged them from God and the people make the request pray for us make intercession for us and there's something interesting else we promise to obey did you note that No matter what the cost. And now, Jeremiah, it's up to you to determine God's will for us. Now, again, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Jeremiah and you've been following along in the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah has preached to kings and when Jeremiah has preached to the people of Jerusalem and when Jeremiah has preached to all of the people throughout all of his ministry, what's been the response? We don't want to hear what you have to say, Jeremiah, because remember his reoccurring message was Babylonians are coming. Jerusalem is under judgment. Uh, You're going to be wiped out because of your rebellion, because of your disobedience, because you've distanced yourself from God, because you've disobeyed God. God's bringing judgment on this place. And Jeremiah hasn't been really well received. He's been preaching a message of warning and judgment. And now a group of people are saying to Jeremiah, we want to know what God's will is. Will you pray for us? Can you imagine Jeremiah? Oh, Joel. It would be like if. You've been praying for a family member or a friend or you've been praying for a neighbor or you've been praying for someone and you've talked about Jesus and you've talked about Jesus and they've given you rebuke after rebuff and saying, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And then all of a sudden they come up to you and they say, will you will you talk to me about Jesus? Will you tell me the story of Jesus? Will you will you act? Will you? Pray that I can understand God's will and know God's will and do God's will. And then all of a sudden you go, thrill! Finally! People want to know God's will. Think of all the years of antagonism and resistance and threat and imprisonment and intimidation and persecution. Now someone wants to. It's hard to imagine just how thrilling this could be, especially if you received bad news after bad news after bad news. And Jeremiah's counsel and advice and prophecies have been ignored by kings and mighty men. But I want you to think about it. In all of the chapters of Jeremiah... Even though people have rejected his word and they've rejected his counsel and they've rejected the prophecies. Have they always 
been proven correct? And the answer is yes. In verse 4 it says, Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. Now, note what's happening. Jeremiah promises to pray. He promises to seek God's will. He promises to seek God's word. And once he understands God's will and God's word, he also promises not to hold anything back. Whatever the Lord reveals, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's difficult or whether it's easy, he's not going to neglect to declare the whole counsel of God. In a sense, Jeremiah is preparing the people to be ready to accept and walk in the will of God. Now, again, imagine when somebody says to you, will you pray for me? And you say to them, what would you like me to pray about? And they say, I want you to pray that I might know God's will and do God's will. And you say, are you prepared to do God's will if you know God's will? By the way, good idea or bad idea to pray for God's will, receive God's will, and then ignore God's will. That's a bad idea. The prophet's willing to pray. But the people needed to be willing to hear and obey whatever the Lord revealed. But it becomes a type and a picture for each and every one of us. Because the moment that you say, Lord, I want to know what your will is. And then the Lord reveals his will and you go, okay, now I'm looking for will number two. I'm looking for will number three. It's a bad idea to pray for God's will in order to reject God's will or disobey God's will. And so in verse five, they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord, your God, sends us by you. In in, in other words, in verse five, the people are in effect making an oath. They're making a promise. They're taking a vow. The vow, in effect, is saying, may God punish us if we disobey. In verse 6, it says, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send You that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord, our God, because I want you to think about it. The rebellion and the disobedience had brought Jerusalem to its knees. It is now a heap of rubble. This once mighty nation has collapsed under the weight of its own wickedness. Because rebellion and disobedience. Creates an atmosphere Of darkness and disobedience. So the remnant promises to do whatever the Lord says. They call the Lord a true and a faithful witness. And over and over again, I've told you what you need in order to be a faithful witness. Ask any law enforcement officer. In order to to be a witness, you have to have a knowledge of the facts, right? Isn't a good witness someone who actually saw what happened? And has an understanding of the facts. And number two, isn't a good witness someone who has a reputation for honesty? 
Isn't a good witness someone who's willing to tell the truth? And so they know that God is a faithful witness. Jeremiah has been a faithful witness. The psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. My God, your law is written within my heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, It's not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so it seems to beg the question, what is the will of the Father in heaven? What does the Father want? And we know the simple answer Again, is to turn from our sin. We know to walk away from darkness and walk into the light. It, 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 is, it is the reoccurring message of the New Testament to put aside our sin and embrace the message of Jesus and embrace the person of Jesus and know him and love him and receive him. And so look at the reply Jeremiah gets from the Lord. In verse 7 it says, and it happened after 10 days. That the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now I need you to understand what's happening. Remember they're holed up in Bethlehem. The, the Gedalia, the, the provisional governor has been murdered. Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out about the tragedy. The reality is that this is a lawless place and unlawless circumstances. And as you can imagine, the people are fearful about their circumstances. Quite literally, they're afraid. Day one, Jeremiah, have you heard from the Lord? No. Day two, Jeremiah, any word from the Lord? Not yet. Now, this is important. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This isn't Jeremiah's opinion. This isn't Jeremiah's considered response after thinking carefully through all of the circumstances. For ten long days, Jeremiah is seeking the mind of God and the will of God in this matter. And clearly God's mind and God's will is going to be important because it's going to be important not only to Jeremiah and Baruch, who happened to be there, but also this little remnant. Because remember what God wants. He wants to put a little seed in the land to provide. To provide the genesis of of a new world and and a new hope. Waiting to hear from God may have caused some moments of anxiety and tension. And that might be true for you too. Lord. Would love to hear from you. Listening. Have you ever been in a situation where you called out to God and you wanted to know what God wanted you to do or believe or whatever it happened to be? I'm going to suggest to you that Jeremiah, even at this particular moment, began to discern the mood of the people. He began to understand that for the most part, there's going to be one of two things. They have come to him. They've asked him about what God's will is. But they're beginning to understand. Jeremiah's beginning to understand that they don't really want to stay. They don't really want to hear from God and they don't really want to obey God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest to you that even at 
this point, it's becoming abundantly clear to Jeremiah that they don't want to stay, that they want to go to Egypt, that they want to get out of harm's way, and they want to get out of harm's way as quickly as possible. Now remember, in this particular instance and under this particular circumstance, that means running away from God's plan and running away from God's purpose and running away from God's will because they are overcome with fear. And sometimes that's exactly where we find ourselves when we are faced with wanting to know God's will, discovering God's will. I can't even begin to tell you how many people have come to me and said, hey, I have an unbelieving boyfriend or I have an unbelieving girlfriend. And even though they're not Christians, I love them and I want to marry them. What's God's will? And I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and I I remind them that the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And now they know God's will, but then they look me straight in the face and they say, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do. You see, it's always a bad idea to ask a person to pray about what the will of God is when your plan is not to obey it once you know it. I'm also going to suggest to you that God, during these ten days, began to reveal to Jeremiah that a future event was about to take place. And you know what that future event would be? Babylon was going to take an army and it was going to penetrate Egypt and it was going to conquer Egypt so much so that even though they think that they're running away to a place of safety and security, that the place that they're running to is going to be as bad as where they are. And isn't that true of people who try to run away from the plan of God and the will of God and the word of God? They think, hey, look, I I don't want to go to church and I don't want to read the Bible and I don't want to really be a Christian. I'm not a religious person. The whole religious thing doesn't really work for me. And I remind them, the religious thing doesn't work for me either. What? You're a pastor and religion doesn't work for you? Yeah, it really doesn't. I'm not good with it. The thing that I'm good with is a real relationship with the true and living God as he's revealed in the Bible and the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 8 it says, Then he called Johanan, the son of Kariah, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. Verse 10, by the way, constitutes the word of God. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. In the original language, the verb is intensive. And when you look in verse 10, it says, if you will still remain in the land, it it carries the idea, if you calmly remain or if you calmly stay if you will indeed dwell in the Septuagint it carries the idea if you'll relax if you'll calm down if you'll allow the fear to dissipate just for a moment if you will begin to understand that 
the real God who is really in heaven, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, is willing to take care of you in the circumstance that you find yourself in. Of all of the reasons and all of the excuses and all of the what you think are good reasons and good excuses not to obey God. If you'll relax and understand something. I'll build you and not pull you down. I'll plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent. The translation is literal. The meaning is I grieve for the disaster which I brought upon you. That's what it says in the New English Bible and J.B. Moffat and a similar. It doesn't mean that God has changed his mind. What it really means is I've ceased from the calamity. In other words, the judgment that has come upon the land, the judgment that has come upon Jerusalem, the judgment that has come upon the captives, the judgment is now past. Particularly if you're willing to turn from your sin and you're willing to turn to me, particularly if you're willing to turn away from your disobedience. And this becomes an important point for each and every one of us, because sometimes we meet people or we are that person who says, I'm I'm in a place in my life where I can't change what I've done in the past. Agreed. No, you don't understand. I can't change the things that I've done in the past. I I agree. No, you don't understand. You see, I've done wicked things and weird things and wrong things. No, I I actually do understand. You mean God is willing to forgive me? You mean God is willing to cleanse me? You mean God is willing to take the sum and the substance of my rebellion and my disobedience and then figure out a way to work with me In the here and in the now? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. And that's part of what's being said to these people. Is God sovereign? The answer is yes. Does God sometimes sovereignly operate through human freedom? I'm going to suggest to you that the answer is yes. That God actually uses the choices that people make to further his will. And look what it says in verse 11. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon. Whenever I've seen the phrase in the Bible, do not be afraid, it usually means they are. Remember when the angel of the Lord appears to Mary? Fear not. Why? Because if a supernatural being all of a sudden showed up in your bedroom or your bathroom, you would basically have a little bit of a meltdown. It wouldn't be a thing where you see like a little shiny object and you go, oh, look at the shiny object. How interesting. When angels appeared in the past, it was usually a sign of judgment. When angels appeared, it usually meant you were about to die. And so you can imagine if a great big glowing creature all of a sudden shows up, you would be afraid. So over and over again, when... God shows up and he says, don't be afraid. It's usually because they are afraid. And he says, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon. And I'm going to suggest to you because that's exactly what they're afraid of. They're afraid that the king of Babylon, who exercises sovereignty in that particular area, who already has a standing army that has destroyed Jerusalem and everyone in it and taken the place captive and dragged them off to Babylon, who if he decides that you're going to die, that the chances are you are going to die. 
It's like one of those scary moments. If you're an Al Qaeda operative or a Muslim terrorist and all of a sudden the, the president of the United States puts you on the top of the list. If the president of the United States says we're going to use all of the resources that we have available in order to kill you. That should cause a little bit of a tremor in anybody's heart. And they're afraid. They're afraid of the king of Babylon. But look what it says. For I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. Do you realize that when you become a Christian, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that whatever wrong allegiances you used to have, they get severed. You don't owe the world anything. You don't owe the devil anything. You don't owe your flesh anything. For I am with you, he says, to save you and deliver you from his hand. In verse 12, and I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you. Now, I'm going to suggest to you in verse 12, when God says, and I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you. In other words, it's God saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something extraordinary. I am going to place not only favor in the heart of the king of Babylon, but what I am going to do is I'm going to put favor in the heart of all of those people who used to wish you harm, where all of a sudden they're no longer going to wish you harm. I was watching a movie that was made by one of our Calvary Chapel uh, family of friends. There was a, uh, a man who happened to be a drug dealer in Tijuana, and he was a member of a drug cartel, and he was incarcerated, and he was placed in a Tijuana prison. And some people came and witnessed to him and shared Christ with him, and this guy got gloriously saved. The Holy Spirit came inside of his heart and his life, and there, he experienced this transformation in this Tijuana prison, and he began to tell people about Jesus, about the love of God and the message of hope and then one person got saved and then another then 10 then 20 and then he has this gigantic congregation inside of the Tijuana prison and all of a sudden some of the guards and the officials are starting to get angry because there was a blossoming drug industry inside of the prison and so the warden calls the man in and he basically says, I have to do one of two things. I have to kill you or I have to pardon you. And he says, killing you is going to cause way too much problems. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pardon you. What? No one ever gets pardoned. He goes, you're right. You put me in an uncomfortable position, and this seems to be my best choice given the circumstances that I have. The people who hate you and the people that fear you are the people you fear. All of a sudden things change. He says, I'll show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. Here's part of the point. Jeremiah says, you asked me to pray for you. You asked me to pray for God's will. I have good news. And, you know, when people say to you, will you please pray for me? Will you pray for God's will? And you have good news for them. And the good news is not only that Jesus loves you and that God loves you, but he's willing to forgive you if you'll turn from your sin and you'll go in a different direction. And so here he's saying, 
you need to stay in the promised land. If you will remain in the land, the Lord will do three wonderful things. The Lord would build them up and not tear them down. The Lord would plant them and not uproot them in verse 10. The Lord would exercise compassion because his heart was broken over the recent judgments executed against the nation. The Lord would grant them his power and presence to deliver them from the hand of Babylon. The implication is that Babylon would be gracious and compassionate to the Jewish refugees after all Joanne had exercised wisdom, executed justice. He went after the assassin. He broke up the cartel and the ring and he recovered the captives. And he's saying, look, I am willing to work with you. No wonder in James chapter one, verse 22, it says, don't merely listen to the word of God, but be willing to obey it. But the Lord also gives stern warnings for disobedience. And by the way, does God know whether or not the remnant is going to be obedient or disobedient? He knows. Does God know whether or not you're going to be obedient or disobedient? He knows. God knows if you have no intention or if you have every intention. Of hearing from him and wanting to go in a different direction. But look what it says in verse 13. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and to go to dwell there. Then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt and there you shall die. Do you understand what's being said? If for whatever reason you decide not to opt for God's will, but you opt to run away. Now, remember why they're running away. We will go to the land of Egypt where we will see no war. We're just sick and tired of the conflict. Nor hear the sound of the trumpet. We are sick and tired of living on the edge of our seat, wondering whether or not we're going to go to war, whether or not the economy is going to collapse, whether or not we're going to have food to eat. We are tired. We are tired. We are tired of living from hand to mouth day after day under the constant threat of annihilation. Well, why, why won't you serve the Lord? Well, I would have to quit my job or modify my job or I need to leave this bad relationship or I'm going to need to do this or I'm going to need to do that. Remember, 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 remember all of the reasons why people won't honor God or won't obey God or or won't turn from their sin. They can find all kinds of excuses. But here's what the promise is for these, this remnant. You think that by running back into the world And into the safety of the world, that judgment won't follow you. Question. Do bad things happen to unbelievers? And do bad things happen to Christians who, in rebellion and disobedience, decide to ignore God's plan and who decide to ignore God's will? 
And so they go back to the life that they used to have. They go back to the sex. They go back to the drugs. They go back to the empty relations. They go back to the meaningless world. They go back. They go back. And they think that it's going to fill a void. But the void just gets getting deeper and darker. And so it says in verse 17. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt and dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. When you see that term, the sword, it means war. When you see that term, famine, it means hunger. When you see that term, plague, it means disease. I don't want war. I don't want hunger. I don't want disease. And the Lord says, guess what? You're not running away from it. You're running towards it. The Lord had already planned to execute judgment against Egypt and knew that he had that. That Babylon was planning an escape. Now, think about this. The remnant is thinking if we can just make a run for it and we can get to the border and we can cross the border to Egypt, then we're going to be in another sovereign country where Nebuchadnezzar is not in in, in control. And it holds out the hope that there might be peace there. But there's not going to be peace there. Verse 18 For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse and a reproach. And you shall see this place no more. This is pretty bad stuff. The refugees would become objects of cursing and horror and condemnation and reproach. And then the Lord says this, and guess what? You won't be coming back here. You're not going to be coming back to this land, to the promised land. Now remember, the promised land is the place where Abraham set up camp, where Isaac and Jacob set up camp. This is the place where Jacob, when he was an old man and he died in Egypt, he begged his children, please take my bones and return it to the land. This is the place when Joseph, after he wonderfully and supernaturally was used by God to deliver his family and the nation from extinction and annihilation. He says, there's just this one thing I want you to do. I want you to take my bones and bury me in the land. Why? Because he knew that this is the place where God's plans were going to be worked out, where God's purposes were going to work out. This is the place where the Messiah was going to show up. And I'm going to suggest to you it means even more than that. This is the place where a future resurrection is going to take place and that they're going to come back to life. And their bodies, their dead bodies are going to come back to life, be renewed with their spirit and be reconciled to God forever. And so both Jacob and Joseph said, I want to do that from Jerusalem. It reminds me of that silly story of the of the tour group that goes to Israel and tragically one of the uh, people, uh, an elderly lady, she dies during the course of the tour. And the tour guide says, "Look, we can bury your loved one right here in Israel. It'll only cost you A couple of thousand dollars. But if we take her body and we ship it back to New York, it's going to cost $15,000. And the man said, I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? I can't do it. I can't take the chance. He goes, what do you mean you can't take the chance? He goes, I heard that thousands of years ago, a Jew came back to life. and And I just can't see 
taking that chance with my mother-in-law. Yeah, it's a bad joke. It's a horrible joke. The truth is, people are going to be resurrected from the dead. The refugees would become objects of cursing and horror and condemnation. In verse 19, it says, The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. In other words, the will of God couldn't be any more clear. What do you know for absolute certain? I know that I have to turn from my sin and I know that I have to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. That we turn from darkness, we embrace the light. We, we know that we turn from sin and we turn to the Savior. There are certain things that God makes very clear. And one of the things that God makes very clear is whatever else you decide to do, God has redeemed you. He has blessed you. He has forgiven you. He's reconciled you to himself. It doesn't make sense for you to go back to that world in which you left. It doesn't make sense for you to go back to the drugs or the alcohol. It doesn't make sense for you to go back to the empty relationship. It doesn't make sense for you to embrace the empty promises. Going back is a bad idea. Martin Luther said, you may as well quit reading and hearing the word of God and give it to the devil if you don't desire to live according to it. It makes perfect sense to me that it's a big, fat, stinking waste of time for you to read the Bible and come to this Bible study or go to the church when you go, when you're constantly living on the edge and you're constantly saying, I can't wait to go back to that lifestyle of rebellion and sin. There's nothing worse than reading your Bible and knowing what the expectation is only to slam it shut and to walk away from it. The Bible in the New Testament refers to this like a dog returning to its own vomit. In verse 20, it says, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord, your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord, our God. And according to all that the Lord, your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. Can you imagine Jeremiah? Here's the people. People say, Jeremiah, pray for us. Pray for us that we can hear from God and know God's plan and know God's purpose. And Jeremiah, the sense of confidence and excitement wells up in his heart only to discover something that they weren't sincere. That they weren't genuine. George MacDonald said, I find that doing the will of God leaves me with no time for disputing about his plans. Never, ever pray for God's will if all you're going to do is ignore it. Look what it says in verse 21. And I have decided this day. I've declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Jeremiah correctly judges what their response is going to be. And you know what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who's pretending to be something that they're really not. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. Read, you shall die by war. You shall die by hunger. You shall die by disease. Now, why is this important? Because in rebellion and disobedience, by walking away from the will of God, what he's basically saying is that the thing that you fear the most 
The, the reason why you think it's a bad idea to honor God or obey God, all of the reasons that you're trying to save yourself from, that's what you need to be concerned about. And so Jeremiah exposes their hypocrisy. Deep down in their hearts, the refugees were insincere. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, because the reality, the word of God will expose the genuine circumstances of your heart. This is why the Bible is called sharper than any two edged sword, able to cleave in two between the soul and the spirit, the Bible, the word of God, the command of God becomes the very dividing point between what you really want and what you think you want. Deep down in their hearts, they don't want to honor God. Deep down in their hearts, They had already made up their mind to flee to Egypt. Deep down in their hearts. They may have made a vow. And thought at the time that they were willing to keep it. But deep down in their hearts. They were going to make a run for it. Do you realize what the people really wanted from Jeremiah? They didn't really want God's will for their life. They wanted Jeremiah's approval and God's approval. They wanted God's approval for their rebellion and they wanted God's approval for their wickedness and they wanted God's approval for their disobedience. And I can't even begin to tell you how many times people will come to me and they will try to convince me that wrong is right. Why don't you why don't you just say that there's nothing wrong with homosexual behavior? I can't say that because it's not true. Well, why do you pick on the homosexuals? I don't. I I, I pick on every single person who in rebellion and disobedience, whether heterosexual or homosexual, whether drunk or drug addict, no matter what form or fashion your rebellion and your disobedience takes, I'm equally appalled by all of it and willing to remind you that God is willing to forgive all of it. Cleanse all of it. Create a new person inside of you and to give you the courage to walk in a way that God will give you joy and peace. So Jeremiah pronounces their doom. Their request had been nothing more than a pious pretense. Maybe, maybe there was something inside of them that thought that they could fool Jeremiah. Or fool God. By the way, can you fool God? No. Can you fool yourself? Yeah. That's where the real danger is. When we say to ourselves, I meant well. I meant it when I said it. And so Jeremiah reminds them. You're going down a road that isn't going to work for you. Albert Barnes wrote, it does not require great learning to be a Christian and be convinced of the truth of the Bible. 
It requires only an honest heart and a willingness to obey God. Do you understand that? In other words, the most important thing isn't that you know everything about everything or even that you know everything about the book of Jeremiah. Some people might say, well, if I knew as much as you, then maybe I could make an informed decision. But I'm here to tell you that if you knew as much as me, then you would repent immediately. And obey immediately. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And the human heart is a cesspool of sin and deception is innumerable. And and I, I need you to understand something. Part of what the point of this message is, is unless you learn to live in the truth, deception and hypocrisy will take hold of your life. And so the message isn't about the reality that human beings are trapped by hypocrisy and deception, but rather the reality that there's grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope available for people who are trapped in deception and hypocrisy your life doesn't have to end well or it doesn't have to end poorly your life can end well in mark mark's gospel jesus said that which comes out of a man that's what defiles him for from within out of the heart Proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts and covetousness and wickedness and deceit and lasciviousness and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And that's why God is so committed to changing you from the inside out. To change you from the heart. St. Ambrose said the will of God is the measure of all things. It's not just knowing it, but doing it. The Bible says that it's God's will that none perish, but all come to eternal life. But the sad fact is that some will perish. It was God's will that they stay in the land and trust Him for the future. It wasn't God's will that they cave into fear and pain and desperation. Henry Ward Beecher said the strength and happiness of a man consists in finding out the way in which God is going and then going in that direction. And that's what Jeremiah gave to these people. Let me tell you where God will be. He will be in that place where he wants to plant you in the bosom of Jesus, in the promised land where you can occupy Christ. Oswald Chambers said the tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens up and the profoundest truths of God are yours straight away. God will never reveal more truth about himself till you obey what you already know. And think about what Jeremiah said to them. If you'll obey God, guess what? I'll take care of you. I'll cleanse you. I'll keep you in the place where I've asked you to be. God will never reveal more truth about himself. Until you. Are willing to obey what you know. Have you ever said I want to know more. Instead of saying I just really want to be obedient to what I know already. It was Tom. It was Mark Twain who said. 
It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that cause me the most concern. It's the parts I already, that I do understand. But guess what? The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven's gate is open. The single simple willingness, a quiet whisper that says, I think I'm ready to walk away from my sin and I'm ready to walk into the arms of God. I think I'm ready to abandon the life that I used to have in order to embrace the life that God wants me to have. His grace shows up, his mercy shows up, his forgiveness shows up. And then everything's changed. The next chapter, poor Jeremiah, he's going to be dragged into Egypt. Well, what happens when somebody drags you on a journey that you have no desire to be a part of? That's what we're going to look at next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you for your love and for the word of God. And for the man of God who's willing to tell the truth from God's word. And Lord, we have a wonderful source of information. Every book in the Bible, every chapter and every verse. Giving us direction. Giving us guidance. Giving us promises. Giving us hope. Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who learn to not only love you, but love what you have to say. Lord, we pray that we would be willing to figure out which way you're going and go in that direction as well. And so, Father, I pray for these men and women. I pray for their hearts and their circumstance and their life and their future. Lord, I pray that as you reveal your will to them, That, Lord, they would be willing to trust you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.